What's up, everyone? And welcome to the Renewable Energy Smart Pod. I'm your host, Sean McMahon. And today, we're going to spend a good chunk of time talking about trends in the energy storage sector. In a minute, I'll be joined by Mike Whitticke. Mike is the Senior Vice President of Strategy and Regulatory Affairs at Powen. Powen is a vertically integrated energy storage system supplier. So Mike has an insider's view on how that market is continuing to evolve. He'll explain the technology and trends that are driving growth in that sector and the way the Inflation Reduction Act has provided a huge boost. And speaking of the IRA, Mike will delve into how the impact of key details of that legislation, specifically investment tax credits dedicated to labor, location, and domestic content, are still being sorted out. And he'll share his insights on how those incentives stand to present opportunities and challenges for market participants up and down energy storage supply chains. Looking ahead at the schedule for this show, I just want to give you a heads up that we're going to be taking a break for a few weeks. Obviously, the Thanksgiving holiday is coming up here in the U.S. But ahead of that, I'm taking my wife and kids on vacation to Brazil. That's right, we're going to Rio. One thing you might not know about my family is that we are so dedicated to all things renewable energy that we're going to be doing a complete and thorough analysis of the solar resources that can be found in places like Copacabana and Ipanema. It's tough work, but somebody's got to do it. So if any of you listeners out there have any local tips about Rio that can help us get the most out of our strenuous research trip, send them my way. Otherwise, I promise to report the findings of our field research at the end of this month, which is also when this show will return, so we can shift our focus to all the news surrounding COP28. So gobble gobble, I hope our listeners in the U.S. enjoy your Thanksgiving break. But before you do, dive on into this conversation with Mike Whitticke from Powen. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me today. My guest is Mike Whitticke, the Senior VP of Strategy and Regulatory Affairs at Powen. Mike, how are you doing today? Doing great, Sean. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. It's fun to be on your podcast. Longtime listener, first time caller. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show. Let's just start things off with a real quick explainer for our audience what you and the team at Powen do. Sure. Yeah. Happy to. Could do you mind if I start with a little background on the industry and then we get into how Powen fits into that background? Certainly. Go for it. Great. So, the industry that we participate in is battery energy storage. And in the most basic terms, energy storage allows allows us to take electrons when they're cheap and store them to be released when they're expensive. Electrons can become cheap if one of two things happen. There's too much supply or there's too much demand. As I said, this is the most basic explanation I can make of energy storage market. So let's talk about how there's too much supply, because that's really interesting in light of what's going on in this sort of shift to renewables. As we build more wind, as we build more solar, that generation is what's called intermittent generation. I'm sure I'm not telling your listeners anything new. But that intermittent generation means that we don't have consistent supply to meet demand. And there's a couple of ways to manage that issue. The first is to just limit the amount of renewables on the grid. We keep burning stuff to make electricity. And we say, you know, renewables are capped at 10% or whatever the percent is that the grid can handle. Well, frankly, that, that idea doesn't work because we're not going to be able to transition to a carbon neutral economy by continuing to burn stuff. 
The second option is we build a ton of renewables and transmission. So there's always enough generation somewhere to meet the available demand. Basically, we just overbuild massively. We invest massively to move all those electrons around to where they're needed at that point in time. And that's a really interesting potential solution. It's not practical, but there is some thinking around there that overbuild coupled with the third option, which is store those those excess cheap electrons until they're expensive and needed. And we do that right now with battery energy storage. And that's called shifting. It's the most basic attribute that a battery brings to the grid. And it's a critical tool to increase the amount of renewable capacity on the grid. So battery storage, and we are of the lithium ion battery energy storage, provides multiple other resources to the grid, but let's just stick to sort of the basics, which is that shifting. And there's, there's, there's several ways to store energy. Historically, the largest was pumped hydro. And there's gravity coming online, there's thermal storage, there's pneumatic storage. But battery energy storage is really interesting because it's geographically agnostic. You can really put a battery anywhere and store that excess energy until it's needed anywhere on the grid. And we've seen a transition to a specific type of battery chemistry called lithium iron phosphate. That's what Powen uses, and that's due to the unique characteristics and inherent safety of, of that chemistry. So Powen, what do we do? Well, we participate in this energy storage market by being a vertically integrated energy storage system supplier. Our vision is to lead the frontier of energy by accelerating the transition to clean, reliable, and affordable power. And we build fairly large-scale projects. Our average size is larger than 100 megawatt hours. They're typically in front of the meter. In the industry, it has grown uh, rapidly with you know a hockey stick growth rate of the energy storage industry generically. We have about three and a half gigawatt hours of operating assets, uh, about 13 gigawatt hours in construction, and Powen Systems over the last um, nearly decade have discharged about a half a terawatt hour into the grid. What do we sell? We sell a vertically integrated full turnkey energy storage system. Powen owns the technology from above the cells all the way to the energy management system that controls these power plants. We sell the hardware, the software, the controls, analytics. We have a service team and a monitoring team, and we're actively expanding our our service offering to support our customers uh, efficiently optimizing the value of their, their assets. Is that enough to give you a little background on Powen? Yeah, I I think I know where you all sit now. Great. Talk to me a little bit about your customer base right now. It sounds like it's utilities, uh, maybe some large corporates. You know, what's the blend right now? Yeah. So our customer base, uh, we started by uh, self-consuming our own supply. Back in 2016, we self-developed a couple projects and used them as proof of concept. Uh, from that stage, we've expanded our customer base to people that actually pay us. And those are really developers, IPPs, utilities, corporates. And that mix of customers is really the mix that's driving this whole industry. The customer base is ever-evolving and their off-takers are ever-evolving. And as we expand really the applicability of energy storage across the grid by lowering the cost of storage, we do expect that the customer base will continue to expand also. 
and you know the, this fast it's a fast moving technology and so creativity in our customers is moving the business models successful business models to deploy our technology in ways that we're not always expecting it's it's a really exciting industry to be in and a time to be in it Okay. And as that market evolves, obviously you're going to have some new participants perhaps entering the market, right? So what kind of questions does your team field from be it utilities or corporates who are you know, asking questions about energy storage and how it all works and what they need to satisfy their demands? Yeah. So, you know, Powen is a pretty well-known player in the industry. We've got three and a half gigawatt hours operating, 13 gigawatt hours in construction, we have about a half a terawatt hour of total discharged energy through Pound Systems. So we have gotten to a point where we don't really have to explain the company anymore. It's really how do you make a system fit? And these are massive investments. You know, we talked about sort of the small size project now is 100 megawatt hours. These are expensive investments that take a lot of resources across organizations to move forward. And so the, the questions are really, how do you optimize the investment that these folks are making to get a plant and a project that's going to more than pencil, that's really going to be profitable in the long run? And we do have at Powen a, a bit of a unique perspective on how to make that happen. And that comes from our structure. Powen provides a fully vertically integrated system. So we own the entire energy storage value chain with the exception of cells. And we treat cells as a commodity. That, that, that's a raw material. And we're able to incorporate cells from various different suppliers across the market. And so when we're, we're working with customers, there's a focus on what is this cell going to be able to do over the next 5, 10, 20 years. And now we're seeing announcements looking out uh, where cells are being guaranteed for 25 years. It's two and a half decades of cell performance being guaranteed is a pretty exceptional thing. When looking back just you know five, seven years ago, suppliers weren't really willing to guarantee anything past 10. And so the, the questions evolve with this market and with the investment that's going on in sort of the base level technology, which is the lithium ion cell. And because Pound doesn't own that manufacturing, that piece of the vertical, we're able to utilize best cost, best fit technology. And customers are laser focused on that as well as safety. There's been lots of news recently about folks trying to slow down some energy storage deployments because of concerns about safety. And customers just really need to understand exactly how these systems work, operate, and how they're going to be good members of the community for the long term. And what about kind of the, the mix of projects? Is it mostly co-located stuff with you know wind or solar? Is it a lot of standalone or what's the blend there? The mix of projects is changing and we can get into, you know, some of the factors driving that IRA being one of them, but our projects are typically standalone storage. These are large scale. We're doing a project in Australia right now. It's nearly two gigawatt hours of storage, almost a gigawatt of power. And those projects are really base load replacement. And so they're being sited at uh, locations that have good transmission, either legacy fossil fuel plants. The one in Australia that I mentioned is adjacent to a coal plant that's being decommissioned. And that battery is going to power Sydney. If that battery goes down, the city of Sydney will go dark. So these, these really? sites are 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, these are more than science projects. You know, you think about the rate of growth and we talked about it sort of when we kicked off where projects back in the 2015 range were a big project was 10 megawatt hours. And it was big because the cost of cells at the time was just so expensive. You had to have a really niche fit for that project to make sense. And today we're talking about gigawatt hour scale projects and that's because the cost of these systems has gotten to a point where the applications have just increased geometrically to the point where we're using batteries plus, you know, a renewable generation source to displace legacy fossil generation. It's, it's a really exciting time to be in this industry and a, just a confluence of all of these things happening with technological advancements in the lithium sphere that's bringing costs down plus a market that is now providing incentives to transition away from legacy to renewables. And so it's, you know, there, there's no real stopping how these applications are going to expand and where they're going in the foreseeable future. You can't really work in renewables these days without talking about the Inflation Reduction Act, right? So how has the IRA shifted the landscape for energy storage? You cannot talk about renewables without mentioning the IRA for sure. It has certainly added additional um, velocity to this transition. What we have seen, uh, because energy storage, when the IRA was announced, had already really reached a escape velocity. I don't want to say cruising altitude because it continues to accelerate in growth, but it had become a technology that could be deployed without subsidy economically. It could compete without subsidy. So what happens when you add a subsidy to something like that? It adds massive velocity. We saw the market overnight for energy storage increase something on the range of 30 to 40% from before IRA to post IRA. It made marginal projects suddenly pencil, which is, you know, a pretty exciting industry to be in when your your order book just increases by 30 to 40% overnight. It also brought a substantial additional attention into what was happening beyond just, you know, the solar panels on people's roofs. People understood the industrialization and institutionalization of renewables generally, but storage specifically as an asset class. With the ITCs and with all the investment that's coming in, there's just no way for institutional capital to sit on the sidelines anymore when it comes to utility scale energy storage. And we're also seeing, you know, manufacturing um, spring up in a diverse set of locations and uh, substantial investment being uh, directed to disadvantaged locations, whether it be low income or whether it be locations that are suffering from the transition, you know, ex-coal mining communities or plants or communities that had uh, legacy fossil generation are being targets for additional investment and incentive, which is a really exciting thing about the IRA. It's, it's spreading the wealth that the renewables transition is bringing to the U.S. to communities that wouldn't otherwise have great access to it. Okay. And what other aspects of the IRA are you keeping your eye on? I mean, you mentioned some of the incentives in terms of location and things like that. Um, I know there's also stuff out there regarding domestic content, labor. So what do you keep the closest eye on? Absolutely. Our eyes are focused on the rulemaking that is expected to come out on domestic content before the end of the year. Right now, there's guidance 
that a lot of people are using to uh, direct investment. But that guidance has a couple holes in it and left a couple questions unanswered. And we do expect the rulemaking by the end of the year to answer some of those, well, hopefully all of those questions around what it's going to take to achieve the applicable percentage thresholds that are laid out in the the IRA. And the, the applicable percentage threshold is at most basic term, how much of the content of a product needs to be manufactured or undergo a manufacturing process in the United States in order for that product to be considered of domestic content. And uh, what we're expecting to see is some clarification around the labor, the cost of labor that goes into the manufacturing of those products um, and how that cost is integrated into the calculation to determine what is the value of U.S. contribution to the value of the product. And our customers care um, a lot about that because when they are building a facility, that facility can achieve an additional 10% IRA ITC bonus if that facility achieves those applicable percentages. So it's not just Powell's product that goes into that calculation. It's the overall cost of the project that goes into the calculation. And Powell's product is a very substantial adder or detractor, as the case may be, to the applicable percentage of domestic content for those projects. So we do expect that companies, our customers, let's think about what incentivizes a customer to buy a product. It's cost. You know, there's the benefits of the product, but then there's like the bottom line cost. And so when we're talking about domestic content, it has a absolute material impact to the value proposition of a project to a customer's pro forma. That 10% ITC adder needs to be taken into context because in order to achieve that 10%, we need to produce the products that go into the project in the U.S. I don't think anybody's going to say right now that from a pure cost perspective, the U.S. manufacturing of energy storage can directly compete with overseas sources. That time hopefully comes soon where we can directly compete because of technological advancement. But What it boils down to is the customer will be forced to make a decision, assuming that we can't get to parity between domestic content plus the ITC with the cost of overseas sourced goods. The customer will have to make a decision on whether or not they're willing to pay more in certain cases to source domestically, or if they can find product cheaper that is sourced globally, go that route. What we do expect is that in the pretty near future, with that ITC, we will be at parity based on the applicable percentage thresholds. We don't have to achieve 100% domestic content in the U.S. We need to achieve right now 40%, and then it steps up to 45%, 50%, 55% in successive years. And we do expect that we're going to be able to achieve that at parity or extremely near parity with globally sourced goods. And what does Powen's current manufacturing footprint look like? Yeah, we have a, um, a global manufacturing footprint and it's ever growing to meet the increasing demand. We talked through that sort of hockey stick growth rate. And that's probably one of our biggest challenges is continuing to keep up with supply chain evolutions. Uh, right now, we are 
manufacturing in Mexico, in Vietnam, in China. We are spinning up manufacturing in the U.S. that is being accelerated by IRA opportunities. And we are looking at expanding manufacturing elsewhere in response to large projects where it makes sense to have a manufacturing footprint that is geographically proximal to the project when these projects are of such a massive scale. We do have partnerships with quite a few suppliers, and I'd love to talk about supply chain and and just this ever-evolving supply chain at some point, but our suppliers, cell suppliers, are spinning up manufacturing in the U.S. pretty aggressively in response to the IRA. We've seen a lot of announcements with a lot of gigawatt hours in the press, and we do have offtake agreements in the tens of gigawatt hours with manufacturers that are accelerating development in the U.S. So is that some of the headlines we're seeing in terms of manufacturing throughout the South, places like that? And I think the LPO is pretty involved in that, right? Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a battery boom happening in the U.S. It's, it's exciting to see just the scale of investment. We are seeing the, uh, the DOE LPO program, as, yeah, as you mentioned, get very aggressively involved in providing loans and financing to some of these large-scale projects. And, you know, those large-scale projects wouldn't happen if you didn't have an off-taker for the, the cells like Powen. Powen is signing up on, on one side of the ledger saying, hey, we're going to buy tens of gigawatt hours of cells. And that justifies the investment for these cell plants that are happening in, you know, states like Tennessee, South Carolina, Ohio. And it's justifying the investment. And that investment's coming both from public and private sources. The DOE LPO program has put billions of dollars into play in financing this advanced manufacturing revival in the U.S. And it's, it's really exciting to see and be a big part of. And you mentioned there's some other areas of the supply chain that you're watching. Uh, what are those? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, really in response to COVID, boy, none of us could get any of the things we needed. It wasn't just energy storage that was bitten by supply chain disruption. It was everything. We are aggressively diversifying our supply chain. And the amount of investment that's happening in all the different stages of the energy storage value chain are being driven by multiple markets. We see benefit from EV investment. The EV investment is really driving the evolution of the cell technology, as well as some interesting thinking around modules. And so we're following the technological evolution and the technological evolution of our raw materials, which we consider to be cells, is driving diversification of the supply chain. There are new entrants coming in that have a new technology that just makes sense to investigate, to research. And we have our own lab. So we're, we're pulling cells from all over the world and doing cell testing on the next greatest thing that's coming out to make sure we understand it and we're on top of it. And it's not just the same companies that are pumping out the next evolution of technology. It's new companies, new entrants into the market that were considered a tier two or tier three supplier that with a a technological leap forward and some diligent research into whether or not their technology is meeting the performance metrics that are being put into the market, that supplier can then become a tier one and we can incorporate that into our systems, and then put it out into the market. In addition to untangling or resuscitating the supply chain, are there any other headwinds that the energy storage sector is facing right now? 
Boy, that's a great question. It feels like there's a lot of tailwinds. It feels like, you know, the, the industry reached escape velocity about four years ago. And with the IRA, we've just received more tailwinds with, you know, additional renewables being put on, on the grid constantly. There's more need for energy storage. I think the biggest headwinds that we're seeing are, you know, supply chain, just the difficulty of the supply chain keeping up with that truly insane rate of growth, doubling over, you know, several years. And now we're at a compound annual growth rate, really steady state for the next decade of 25% compound annual growth rate. It's, it's an incredibly difficult supply chain to continue growing. So we do expect that there's going to be some unexpected disruptions in the future. So we talked about diversification of supply chain. That is not a immediate headwind, but that's a foreseeable headwind. And then I think another unforeseeable would be political change. You know, we're seeing some rumors about, I don't think any are founded yet, if there is a change in Washington, uh, uh, a peel back of the IRA. Uh, we're seeing some local governments, Texas specifically, put in place regulations that are slowing down, aggressively trying to slow down renewable integration into the grid. And I think that there's this renewable transformation and just this really market transformation is such a massive opportunity. And the smartest people are getting involved in this transition. We think that, sure, there's going to be intermittent upsets. Texas will slow down integration of renewables with these bills that are being passed. But those are those are intermittent. They We will push past them. Uh, there's just too much backing. There's too much investment going into manufacturing to really slow down the industry. And, you know, willful denial of science by fact rejectors, just it's it can't slow down progress. Progress is happening and energy storage is an integral part of that sort of transitional period that we're excitingly moving through. Yeah, and it seems like maybe changing some minds on this might be part of the strategy of the administration based on where they're kind of putting some of these manufacturing facilities. I mean, they're dropping them into red districts, you know, left and right. So it seems like the we're hoping that the power of the economy or the, the lure of jobs will change some minds there. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It's, I mean, this is such an interesting thing to see where all this investment is going, and it's great. And there's, there's reasons for that, right? The IRA was really smart about putting incentives in place to put jobs where the transition could potentially upset local economies and giving incentives for projects to be located in low-income areas or areas that are considered missed out on a lot of that technological transformation or, you know, old coal mining state, states are getting incentives. It's great. It's brilliant. I, I really do applaud the foresight and just the all-inclusive nature of the IRA to bring people along. It, it's really a masterstroke. Yeah, definitely. It seems like about every other day, there's a big headline of a big plant being built somewhere. But do you have any concern that I mean, it's one thing, you know, to to break ground and, you know, throw a shovel in there and have a ribbon cutting ceremony, whatever. But that still takes time for these big facilities to be built. And what I'm hearing you talk about is just this massive demand for more products. So is there any concern that those facilities just can't get built fast enough is what I'm trying to say? <laughs> uh, they can't. Yeah, they certainly can't get built fast enough. What we do see is uh, an interesting sort of supply demand curve in the cell world, which is driving, you know, the cells drive a really substantial cost of these projects. It's 
not exact numbers, but let's say 50% of the cost of an energy storage system is tied up in the, the cost of cells themselves. And if you think about the cost of cells, there's all the transportation involved, there's tariffs under certain circumstances involved. And so the manufacturing that is happening is just bringing more in the U.S. is bringing more capacity into the market at what is currently a higher marginal cost than we can get sales for overseas. But what we do expect will happen is as that capacity comes online, as with all things technology, the overall cost is going to trend downward. The investment is so substantial that just the market dynamics are going to require that cell costs come down, driving the overall system costs down and thus expanding the applicability of energy storage across the market. So yes, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. It can't come fast enough. Some would argue there's you know a, a glut of capacity in the market, but we're not subscribers to that. What we're subscribers to is the best cells, the best manufacturing processes are going to drive costs down. And those will be the cells and the technology that are consumed in systems like ours and by customers like ours. Well, I want to shift for a second here and talk about specific projects. You already mentioned the crucial project you have in Sydney, keeping the lights on down under. What other projects do you have of note? Yeah, we've got a lot. I think a couple that have been announced recently, we are doing a project with... Um, a really cool developer called Apex. And that project is interesting because it's a it's a partnership between Apex and IKEA, one of IKEA's investors, that IKEA is funding the construction of the actual facility through Apex, as well as buying the offtake. And so, you know, these are these are sort of outside of the typical structure that we think of where electricity is being provided by a utility or an IPP, it's corporates going in and self-building, self-funding, and self-consuming their their own investment. So that we think is a really exciting evolution. You know, that's happening at a continuing larger scale. There's been for the last decade, corporates going in and developing solar plants, you know, the metas of the world. And we we see that happening in storage now also. Also, directly contracting with utilities. You know, utilities, people think of utilities as slow moving, moving monoliths. It's just not the case. These guys are moving so fast and the, the energy industry is evolving so incredibly quickly. And utilities are driving a lot of that. So we have a project with Idaho Power right now. It's a huge project, 400 plus megawatt hours. And these utilities see energy storage as being a not just a critical part of you know a, a mixed grid future they're a integral part of decommissioning legacy fossil generation as well as offsetting or delaying the cost of transmission upgrades we talked about you know the diversity of batteries on the grid and all the different applications that's one that utilities are looking at very closely is how can i defer investment in my distribution grid and my transmission grid by putting a battery in a constrained node. And we, we do expect, and I don't think this is going out on a limb or anything, but we do expect that any node where there's a constraint or any transmission project where it can be um, transmission investment that can be delayed by installing a battery rather than going through the massive permitting process to build a new transmission line, there's going to be a battery there. So, you know, those projects and the diversity of projects is just going to increase. And that's that's probably the most exciting thing about being in this industry right now is 
the big scale, the huge scale, that the Wartel project in Australia is amazing. And then there's going to be a diversity of projects that are going to start filling in the gaps as people understand the applicability of, of batteries across the entire grid. And so you mentioned Texas has kind of put some things in the way of the embrace, we'll say, of renewables. But they're also under the spotlight, you know, for keeping the lights on after the the freeze they had a couple of years ago. And it seems like depending on the storm or the whatever freeze comes through, sometimes the grid stays up, sometimes it doesn't. We've seen kind of the same headlines out of California, right? Whether it's fires or heat and things like that. So I think we all know storage is playing a role in that. But how big of a role? And you mentioned maybe even replacing the need to build new transmission lines. So so where does that all take us in the next few years? Are we going to be hearing about regions like that keeping the lights on because of energy storage or or what? Absolutely. Yeah, we already are. California did not have blackouts this summer because of battery energy storage on their grid. That is absolutely a great topic for a future call because I am going to get way over my skis way too quick on that one. But yeah, absolutely. You know, the energy storage is already a critical component of grid stability from California to Texas to islanded countries to, you know, wherever it's being deployed. It is taking peaking generation offline and the batteries are going in to replace that peaking generation and provide a suite of other ancillary benefits to the grid. So I think, you know, your, your point is great. And let's scope out a future call on that one with, with some people that can speak much more intelligently than I. All right. Sounds like a plan. You mentioned at the top that you listen to the podcast. And if you do, you yeah. know that I like to, then you know I like to kind of wrap up my conversations with guests by asking them for some bold predictions. So now is your chance, Mike. Great. What's your bold prediction about how the energy storage sector will evolve in say the next five or 10 years? Fantastic. Can I, can I give you three, but I, I'll give you three if you're willing to argue with me on at least one of them. Bring it on. Let's do it. Okay, great. So um, I think the we, we discussed a bunch of headwinds. Uh, well, not a bunch. We discussed a couple headwinds that are pushing back against the tailwinds of energy storage. I do think that in the next 24 months, the science rejectors in Washington are going to be quieted quite substantially. We do see, and this gets to your point of where this investment is happening, we just see so much acceptance of the renewable energy transition and really low carbon future transition happening at a accelerated rate that we're seeing, I think we're seeing the last desperate gasps of the uh, climate exploitive lobby starting to go silent, which is exciting. So that's my first one. The The next one is by 2030. Well, hold on. 20- I'm going to, I'm going to go, okay. I'm going to jump in on you. I can get All at right. you on that one real quick. I have concerns about the uh, strategy the administration is deploying in terms of dropping some of these uh, manufacturing facilities in red districts. I see the strategy. I know what they're trying to do, but my concern is that they might not be watching their flank. I think there are some purple states, purple districts that when we look back 10 years from now might go red and they probably might have wished they'd thrown some of those dollars in those districts. So that's just me. You know, I, I feel like it's an aggressive play right now, but I'm in a part of the country where, you know, I'm out, I'm in Portland, Oregon, right? And so the city, very blue. I don't have to drive that far to get really red, but I know some of those areas that are red around here wouldn't mind having some of those jobs, but Oregon's a quote, quote, blue state. And so not as much money's coming here. So what's your next yeah. bull prediction? <laughs> I, that's a great point. It's a great point, Sean. And it's, 
hopefully we're seeing projects that are going into many more states than the ones that you know we talked at the top of the show. It's and but I when I say projects, actual sites, facilities that are being deployed where people are seeing you know what a battery can do specifically in the ground. So my next one is by 2030, uh, renewables are going to hit 50 plus percent of all U.S. domestic generation. And within the next 10 years, and here's my optimistic prediction. I thought you were going to disagree with me on this one. I sort of left it at the end, was that we're going to see a governmental pricing scheme in the next 10 years for carbon. Uh, I, I don't think that will happen. <laughs> but uh, um, That's my dream prediction for you. Yeah, I think, well, you start, you talked about the uncertainty that uh, politics can present. And I think that a lot of things would have to stay very consistent for the next 10 years for us to get close to that. And I'm just not sure they will. So they sure would. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. My, I, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for that, but I'm not sure it's going to get there. So the reality yeah. is a little, the reality is a little more sobering, I think. So, well, hey, listen, Mike, this has been wonderful talking to you. I appreciate your insights and thanks for making the time. Thanks a lot, Sean. Glad to do it. Hope to talk again soon. All right, everyone. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you all for listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe or follow this show on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And as always, please be sure to share it with your friends and colleagues. Have a great day.